0: We talked about how there were two pieces to the Ten Commandments, right? There's the whole uh, first part of them that talk about mainly our relationship with God. And uh, they're vertical in nature. It's, it's, it has everything to do with our own heart before the Lord. And then there's the horizontal pieces. The six, the, we talked about five through ten really has to do with, with people. And they asked Jesus, how do you uh, define the, the commandments? How do you render them? Where do you place the accent, the emphasis now, what's your, what's your perspective on the 10? And Jesus said that, that here it is. Here is the greatest commandment, that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said this is the greatest commandment of all. And then secondly, to love your neighbor, love people as yourself. And so he, he consolidates the 10 commands to two pieces. We've been talking about that. Now we're really moving into that second piece. We're talking about the hard part at times, the loving people part. And hopefully we will see that this goes far below just the surface of what it appears to be. One of the things we need to also remember is that when God gives Israel these commands, these ten words, they weren't given to cheat them out of life or somehow be restrictive and inhibitive and you know sort of all the things they can't do, shouldn't do. It wasn't just negative. They all have sides to them that were meant to give them life. Uh, nothing that God was asking was designed to cheat them. It was designed to bless them. And so it is for us. And he really wanted his people who were coming out of a place of bondage, a place in which they had no real identity. Uh, they had been enslaved for generations. They were coming to a place of promise. He had, he had called them into a new place, a new land. And so he gives them these words to serve as guiding principles. And Jesus actually talks about them. We're going to look at that as well. But let's look at the sixth just real quickly. Uh, Exodus 20 and uh, verse number 13. We're told, you shall not murder. And... Um, The sixth command is real short and to the point, very clear. It's uh, ultimately a command to love human life, view it as a sacred gift. All of us who would follow Jesus are to love and protect human life as a special and unique gift. I think that's pretty clear. The Bible makes it clear that human beings are more than animals. And um, The book of Genesis, the scriptures remind us that Adam and Eve were made as, as living beings, that the very breath of God is in a way a breath that we all share in even now. According to Acts 17, we all share one blood. We're really all one people. Our outer tents may have variation, but internally, we share the same, the same part of our creative touch from God. You know, when you think about it, there's uh, something about this, because each one of us bears, and all human beings do, according to the Bible, something of the imprint of the divine. There is this, what the, the ancients used to call it the Imago Dei, the image of God, the etching of God. There's something in a human being that reflects God. And I think that shows up in different ways at different times. We see acts of kindness or just basic human decency. We see love. We see a yearning to live. We see creative, a, a desire to create things. Where does that come from? You know, it comes from God. There's a part of us that, you know, really, really does uh, reflect him at times in beautiful ways. Even in our broken place, we still reflect something of God's image and God's uh, design and that's very true, you know. Um, I was sort of amazed, interested, compelled by something that had been occurring in the news, many of us probably in the past few weeks, although now it seems like we're on to new, another news cycle. But a lot of us remember what happened just a, a, a few days ago in Chile with that amazing uh, development with the miners and, and how all of them were saved and so many people came together. And you know, I read a lot, of, a lot of analysis, a lot of articles, a lot of commentary about what happened there. And I think one of the, some of the ones that struck me the most had to do with those who were saying, you know, this really did show the best of human beings. Uh, they were talking about the cooperation that took place, how everybody came from all over the world to help make this possible, this amazing rescue that occurred. And there was this real rejoicing in, in, in the goodness and, and in what transpired and how everybody worked together and I thought, that really does reflect one side of who we are. But the truth is, and the Bible's pretty clear about this, there is also another side to human beings. I mean, you just follow the Genesis account out. You know, you get to this point where after God says, this is so good, and we have this impacted moment where something is distorted. There's a point of disobedience in the Scripture that occurs, and all of a sudden, human beings are altered, and and, and, and evil enters in at some level. And then a chapter later, in the fourth chapter, you see that there's a a murder that already occurs between brothers and the blood that is shed between Cain and Abel. And God says that the innocent blood of your brother cries out to me. And you know what? Human beings have been shedding innocent blood for generations ever since. And setting aside all, you know, other, you know, say theological aspects of this, you know, what is a just war? What about self-defense? Just, we all kind of intrinsically know it's wrong to kill somebody. Certainly, in our anger, it's wrong to take a life. It's a gift. Now that, that you know, I, I know God. It's interesting because God sees everything. You and I see things periodically on the news, or maybe what happens in our world. We experience it, but there's so. Do you know how much stuff is being done that is absolutely unbelievably horrifying from by one human being to another, all over the world at every moment of every day. It's, it's, we are overwhelmed when we hear something. We get angry. There's a righteous indignation we feel when someone is exploited, taken advantage of, robbed of the gift of life, violated. But God sees it all. And it, it, there is something about it. You know, I was, I was thinking about this as well, is that, you know, there's a reason we have locks on our doors. And then there's a reason why we, we, we have to have laws and we have people who enforce those laws. And there are places in the world right now where lawlessness prevails and there's anarchy and it's people are not safe and you can't have any kind of real community when you have an environment where people are left to go on their own because we have a human pattern. Listen, history teaches us that when left alone, human beings will, even despite the better angels, there's the other side who will exploit and take advantage, survival of the fittest, um, <laughs> hurt other human beings. It's just real. That is real. That is not made up. It's just a part of, you know, we are the jewel of creation, but we are a fractured jewel. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, let's put this up real quick, again, just foundationally here. It says this, that the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked, and who can really know it? There was something about that phrase, desperately wicked, that I thought, wow. First of all, the word wicked, it's kind of confrontational, but that word desperately. There's something there that speaks to the human condition. And so in spite of all of our, our capacity for good, which is there and real, there's also this other dark side, the other side, that's very real as well. And in our brokenness, and I often think about our violent world and how violent our Lord um, had to come and give his own life to endure the violence he endured. There's something about Jesus' coming and his ultimate death and and the way in which he was treated that speaks to the worst of the human experience. In the mystery of God, in his saving us, he enters into the worst. So this commandment has direct relevance in and of itself, but what's interesting is that Jesus took it to an entirely different level. Because I think a lot of us might feel like, well, you know what, this is the one command that I probably will never violate. And we might feel like it doesn't really apply to us, but I'm going to tell you something. Where Jesus took it hits every one of us, and he has so much to say about it. Let's look together. In Matthew 5, this is Jesus' commentary. This is part of his, his Sermon on the Mount. And uh, a lot of us, you know, the imagery that we used both on the cover and, and in the bumper that led into the, this had to do with, you know, Dore's portrait of a uh, picture of Jesus on the on the Sermon, you know, giving the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the reason we select it is because this is where Jesus gives his commentary on the sixth command. Now look at Matthew 5. It says here that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now we read this and we go, what is he talking about? I mean, raque is an Aramaic word. It's not a word that we use or we even recognize. But you know what it literally means? It meant in Jesus's day, and they left it in there because it had a meaning. It, it literally means empty-headed. We would—it was a, a way that um, a person could insult another person in Jesus' day, speak contemptuously of them. We would probably say in our more contemporary rendering. Um, you, you stupid idiot. You, you empty-headed individual. It's, it was a, it was something that was designed to demean or demote another person to the level of nothing. The word fool here connected to the Greek word moros, which is where we get our word moron from. The idea is that these were words that were used in Jesus's day that people um, spoke. It was kind of like you know we we don't use these words, but you know what our culture uses different words and it's amazing what can be what people say all we're so inundated with it so accustomed to hearing it that we hear it everywhere we go you know, people get mad at somebody, someone honks the horn, someone rolls in the window, you know, blank you, whatever else is going on. People speak this about one person, this about another person. I mean, it's just part of our language, right? I mean, we, you hear it all the time, and it's there, and people demeaning other people. And it's sort of like, even, maybe even this week, when we were angry, things came out of us, words that, that were meant to hurt and harm, and sometimes it happens because we feel like we were, we were demeaned. We were hurt. You know, we're going to talk about that in a bit. I think it's one of the things that Jesus makes clear is he's, he's saying something when he, when he says this. He's saying, look, you say when someone murders someone that that person needs to, to be judged and they should be brought before the court. And ultimately, they're in, in danger of an even greater judgment, hell itself. He goes, and that makes sense because you say that's what happens when someone murders someone. That's what that happens. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, when, when we speak reckless, ang- reckless angry words... When we um, demean other people as idiots and fools, he says, you also, my friends, are in danger of judgment. I mean, Jesus takes it to an entirely different level. I mean, it's almost like he's saying, don't think that you've got it made just because you haven't killed or shed innocent blood. Because you're guilty enough if you've harbored or verbalized contemptuous anger, malice, Hostility. If in a reckless moment you've you've demeaned another human being created in God's image, or simply wished ill upon someone, it's like Jesus is saying, "If you've done that, you've already murdered it in your heart," because the same root. And as I was looking, thinking about it, I thought, "Lord, you know, you know, I may not have used profanity to get somebody. It's just kind of not what I do." But Lord, even this week, uh, I know, I think I was examining my own heart. I go under your under your criteria. I have things inside of me. I have anger. I was angry at this person. Um, have I poorly assessed this person? Have my attitude been improper with this person? Have I allowed my anger, my resentment, to justify a response that is not good in your eyes? Have I demeaned this person in my heart? Um, you know, these are questions that probe into the deeper places. You know, when I was a young believer, uh, just a teenager, one of the things that I was introduced to was a small little book by an amazing theologian by the name of John Stott. John Stott writes this book called Basic Christianity, which has to do with the fundamentals of the Christian faith. In that book, he actually devotes a chapter, a very small chapter, to the discussion of the Ten Commands. In that discussion, he gives about a paragraph to East. I remember the Sixth Command, and over the years, as the decades have passed, and they have. uh, I remember (laughs) first hearing about these words. And um, I remember what he said and how much it convicted me. And I, by the way, can I say this? I think there's a difference between (coughs) conviction and condemnation. I think that condemnation, when we just feel condemned, tends to paralyze us in our guilt and shame. I don't think really that's what God wants to do. I think Jesus said it as well. But I think conviction is when our heart is shaken and we are moved to respond to something that we recognize is not what God wants. And we feel a need, a stirring to address something. We feel convicted by it, like that word hits us. And I remember reading Stott's uh, explanation of the sixth command. This is what he said. I'm just going to read it to you. It's not in your handout. He said, this is not just a prohibition of murder. If looks could kill, many would kill with a look. If murder can be committed by cutting words, many are guilty. Indeed, Jesus said that to be angry with someone without a cause and to to be insulting are just as serious, while John draws the right conclusion when he writes, and anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. We'll put this up. Every loss of temper, Stott writes, every outburst of uncontrolled passion, every stirring of sullen rage, every bitter resentment and thirsting for revenge, all of these things are murder. We can kill by malicious gossip. We can kill by studied neglect and cruelty, by what we don't even say but agree to complicitly and let fly by, not addressing it. We can kill by spite and by jealousy. We probably all have done so. Very powerful truth there. Now, someone would say, Well, how can Jesus say it's the same? I mean, it's, He. Okay. Yes, is there a difference? There is a difference. Obviously, we know that. There's a difference between literally killing someone and killing with words. But Jesus is saying there's more connected to these two things than we realize. And he has some things that he wants to remind us to be aware of. Because, again, the temptation is to say, well, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm going to say it totally applies to all of us. And God wants to get at some things here. Now, look at another piece of uh, Scripture here. This is actually from an exchange that occurred between Jesus and Matthew 15. It's recorded there. It's in the handout. And his disciples. And it had to do with something that occurred um, when he was engaging the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of his day, in a, in a kind of a disagreement. The disagreement was connected to the, something that we would go, well, it doesn't make any sense, but it was connected actually to this issue of Jesus' disciples were not doing ceremonial hand-washing before they ate. And the Pharisees felt like Jesus was being cavalier with certain principles that if he truly was someone who uh, cared about the things of God, as he claimed to, to that he would correct his disciples and compel them to pay attention to this this small but important in their mind detail of observation. And Jesus reacted to that. Look what happens here. It says here in Matthew 15, verse 10, it says, Then Jesus called to the crowd, and he said to them to come in here. And listen, he said, and I want you to understand what I'm about to say. Look at verse 11. Listen to me. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And he was trying, again, to remind them that the bigger issue is not what goes in. It's what comes out. Then he says this. Then then it's interesting. He says, then the disciples came to him and they asked him, they said, Lord, do you you realize that um, you have offended the Pharisees by what you just said? It's like, oh, I hear Jesus going, oh, you know, thanks for reminding me. I forgot about that. I didn't, I didn't take that into concern. Of course I knew what I was saying, you know. But they were very concerned. Do you, is, that, is that really what you were trying to say? And Jesus says, you know what, let me tell you something. Look what he says. He says that Jesus replies, listen to me, listen to me. Every plant that is, is not planted by my Father and my Heavenly Father, it will be uprooted. So ignore them. I don't want you getting caught down, caught up in these minor details and neglect the more weightier issues. On another occasion, Jesus would say to the Pharisees, who were very devout, he says, look, you are majoring on the minor and you are minoring on the major. He says, you tithe as you should, as you ought to have done, of mint, anise, and cumin, of the smallest things. But he says, you have neglected the weightier issues of the law, love, justice, mercy. Where is that showing up? Jesus said, look, you guys are all caught up on whether my disciples have washed their hands before they eat because you're concerned about the food that's coming in. Have you considered what's coming out? Out of you? He says this, so ignore them. They are blind guys leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. It is a reminder for us, even in a contemporary world such as ours, that there are some people no matter how intelligent or powerful or how much an authority they may appear to be, that that to follow, there are some things that should be ignored. That to follow will lead us into a point of greater trouble. The blind leading the blind. Jesus goes on. Now, I love what happens next because, and thank the Lord for Peter. And at least Peter is someone who always asks questions. Now, Peter will ask a question sometimes when the answer is you are all looking at. We're going, Peter, that's so obvious. Why would you ask this question? And probably some of the other disciples may have felt that at times too. But because Peter was willing to ask questions, we all are the beneficiaries of his questions that he often asked, asked because he wasn't really getting it. You know what? If I may say, and this is a true aside, there's something about a guileless person who is willing to ask questions because they don't care about how necessarily they're going to be perceived. There's not the sense of pride that's, that's compelling them to somehow have to be something that they're not. And so I, what, Part of what I appreciate about Peter, and I think part of the reason Jesus was able to work so much in his life, even through his weaknesses and weakness, is because I think there was a sincerity of of, of an innocent heart that wanted to know. And you know what? Later on in his letter, he will say this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I think there's something about that, about coming to the Lord with a degree of honesty and sincerity that really does... um, It may initially seem like the Lord is bothered, but really he's not. And um, I think the Lord can do far more with that. So you know what? When it comes to God um, and, and, and bearing our heart to him, we don't have to come guarded. Come as we are, as honest and as openly as we can come. Look what happens. It says, then Peter said to Jesus, well, Lord, would you explain to us that parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat? You know what you just said there? Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on it? Because I'm not quite getting the whole thing that you just said there. And look what happens. He says, you don't, Jesus says, don't you understand yet what I've been trying to say? And, and okay, look, let me put it this way for you. Look what happens. He says, anything you eat, now listen, listen Peter, anything you eat passes through the stomach and, and then it, it ultimately goes out to the sewer. Is that pretty clear what we're talking about here? <laughs> yes, Lord, I get that one. Okay, so it, what we eat ultimately comes through our body, that's the point, and it goes out. But then Jesus says, But the words that you speak, they come from the heart, my friend. And that's what really defiles you. You see, from the heart, that's the place. It's, it's in the heart that, that comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and lying and slander. All of those things ultimately are connected to the heart. These are the things that defile you. You know, eating with your unwashed hands, that will not never defile That is nothing compared to these larger issues. That's what Jesus is saying. And it really does remind those of us who are followers of Jesus or who would follow him that we are to do a couple of things. Number one, Jesus puts it on the board, that we who would follow him need to be very very attentive to the words that we speak, to our communication patterns. We are to watch our words. That we are to be a people who are not reckless with our words. That we are to be careful full of care in the way in which we speak, particularly when we are angry and unguarded. But Jesus says, here's the issue. The problem is that really what comes out is connected to what is already in. And it's a reminder that not only are we to watch our words, Jesus connects it to something different. He says, the words are actually connected to your heart which is why we are to not only watch our words, we are to watch our hearts. And Jesus said this in Luke 6. He said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. But look, out of what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that we see that ultimately the issue is not our words, but our heart. That's why it says this, and in Proverbs 4, it says this about the heart. It says, we are to keep our heart, our heart with all diligence, because out of it flows, springs, the issues of life. Now, the Hebrew concept of the word heart was, was extraordinarily extensive, comprehensive, in the sense that it included our mind, our reasoning, as well as our will and our emotions. Basically, it it, when we thought when they talked about the heart, when Jesus talks about the heart, he's essentially talking about the totality of our inner person, the totality of our inner person, the real us, the real us that's what he's talking about. Guard your heart, guard your inner person. Jesus takes it from the external into the internal. He gets into the interior places of who we really are that reveals itself in our speech, it reveals itself when we're angry, it reveals itself in our attitudes that we can. Harbor, look at what we're being told here, to keep our heart with all diligence. I mean, what is to keep? It's to guard it. It's to post a watch over it. It's to protect it from corruption. It's like someone who's guarding something says, you can't enter here. Where's your authority to come through? Do you have any permission to get through here? This is a guarded place. I'm guarding this for out of it, why? Out of it springs the issue. What is a spring? It's something that goes forth. But think about a spring of water; it bubbles up. In other words, it speaks of our reach. It speaks of the extent of our our life, the ultimate effect of our life, our outreach. That is of the outreach, the way we live, the way what springs out of us is connected to what's inside of us. So Jesus is always saying. Don't get stuck on the outside when what is really the issue is what's on the inside because the inside ultimately reveals itself externally. So when we really talk about things, when we're really serious about growing, following, becoming more of what he wants us to be, it's going to drive us into the interior place. And so the attitudes and the words that flow from our mouth is connected to our heart. That is why we are too guarded. What does that look like? What does that look like? How do we do it? Because see, there's a great, there's a very important, because a lot of times we will say things and we will do things that, that um, <laughs> reveal what we've been allowing in. What we allow in ultimately shows up. And so uh, if we're serious about wanting to, to pay attention so that when things, things start to bubble up, you know, what happens when we're offended? What happens when someone treats us poorly? What happens when someone cheats us out? What happens when someone starts saying things about us? Or what happens when an opportunity to join in with a conversation about someone who's been doing us wrong on the job? You know, um, What about when someone gets a promotion that we were wanting? What about something gets blessed and we didn't want them to get blessed? What about our hurt? What about that person who's offended us? What about that attitude inside of us that's been lingering there for a long time? You see, that's what the Lord is wanting to get at because that's the stuff. There's a lot of times, we, some of us never say anything. We hold it in. But we have anger resentment deep 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 stuff and it comes out and the lord you know i was thinking about something like a, like when you pull a root out of the grass a lot of times you know on the lawn it's amazing i, I you just rip the top off of it you, you got technically you got a part of you got it you got the weed right but under it's still there it's just you just rip the top off it'll come back but to get it, you get to uproot it, Jesus used that language of uprooting, you've got to really dig down and get in there and get it. But when you get it out, you know what I've noticed is that you pull that thing out, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden there's this grass covering it up. You've got a you hole. You've got a little bit of a, of a spot that has nothing in it. If you really get it out of there, you're going to have to, oh, we have to be thoughtful also about what's going to replace that. What's going to get in there? How do we do this? How do we get better? See, the Lord is always about wanting us to move forward in ways that he's going to keep challenging us to not allow things just to run rampant in our heart because and it will show itself up. It shows itself up in the way in which we manage our conflicts, in the way in which we react when we feel that we have been mistreated. It, it, it is deeply intertwined with uh, our response patterns and the attitudes that we are okay with that ultimately create uh, the moments where we say things that we have deep regrets. And we live in a culture where you can, if we're not careful, we can say something and, oh, God, did I can't I said that, or I, I, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. It's gone, it's done. And now I, 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 I didn't really mean, I was mad. At the time, I was mad. I, 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 it was too late. When we're on the road, same thing. What comes out of us, you know? How do we, you know, again, I was trying to say, I was sitting with this, I was saying, Lord, there's in me, what is it This? There, It's in there. You want out. You know, teach me your ways. Let the, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. As your psalmist said in Psalm 14, help me, Lord, to, to not harbor things, uh, to watch my words. And then this is the last piece here. To go from being a person who... See, this commandment is about not just not speaking demeaning words. It's about being a person who speaks words of life. <coughs> See it? Blessing in life. If the negative is don't kill, don't murder, the positive is the other side is... Be a life giver. So it's not just what we're not supposed to do. Obviously, we're not just not to be killers. We are to be life givers. And that is something that is to affect us all in every area of our life. We start being known for words of blessing. And we challenge things inside of us when we see them. And when God says to us, and he will at times put his finger on something and say, that... Where's that coming from? And then that drives us into the heart. That's one of the values of having time with the Lord in his word. That's one of the values of having times where we have a small group that we're, we're interacting with around these words. We're praying for one another. We're sharing at a far more than just surface level. We're talking about our spiritual life, heart issues. Where am I at right now? Where's my struggle how can I get better? How can we pray for one another? How can we forgive, be forgiven? How can I respond better in light of patterns that I've established in my life for generations? And in some cases, I have had them passed down to me like a baton, and it's not a blessing. It does damage every time. How do, how do I, we grow? How do we get past that? How do we get better? This is what we're talking about. The Lord wants to teach us. I'll, I'll one final scripture is this. It says this in Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you have the right response for everyone. You know, what's interesting is the verse right before it is talking about how followers of the Lord are to be prepared to, you know, convey right words to people who don't even believe. You know, and, and this idea of representing the Lord's heart in the way in which, look, this is on our jobs, um, social circles, certainly in our homes, to, to, to not just be reckless to not just join in to not just be okay with stuff that the lord is saying i i need that to to be adjusted because you're we are to be articulators we are to be representations as best as we can not self-righteously not as people who are you know just speaking religious speak and not but with a degree of humility that comes and start you that you start to be known as a person of good words that, that there is benediction to your life. Good word. That, that, that where we go, the peace of God follows. doesn't mean we get it right every time. We will mess up at times. We will have issues in our own heart that God's going to want us to deal with. But increasingly, listen, we are growing. We are, we, are being, we are taking ownership for things in our own heart. We are not being okay with stuff that God's saying, that's no good. That, that is corruptive. That that attitude, that envy, that that spirit... That thing is not of me. Get rid of it. Get that thing out of there. Let me get in there. And there are some things where I say, Lord, that is so deeply entrenched in, inside. I, 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 I can't get it out. I, that's when you have to say, Lord, I, I really need you. Here, here. I welcome you into this place. I, I, I welcome you in. I welcome you in. You know, there, the, uh, there's a poem in the handout, I'm not going to read it through. I understand it's not Shakespeare. I get that. In fact, it barely qualifies for Hallmark quality, all right? However, having said that, look at that fourth stanza real quick. It says, and yet the harsh word left a trace, the kind word could not efface. And though the heart its love regained, it left a scar that long remained. Some damage, even after we say we're sorry, forgive me, I didn't mean it, 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 it has a residue, a scarring. May the Lord help us on this, okay? Because so so some things are, we, listen, some of us are recipients of words that we're still trying to get past. And others of us are recipients of words that have been such a blessing to us and have, have built something into us deeply that we we're actually able to negotiate things because of those words that were spoken into our life, they have strengthened who we are. But again, for others, of us, sometimes the hardest part is just getting past what we've said or what's been said to us. And in all of these areas, the Lord wants to teach us how to be a people of life and how to live oppressed and joyless, but to live in the life and in the love of God. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Even when things are tough, God is good, and he is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises, which for us um, are beyond a price that could be paid with mere money. Um, You have been amazingly gracious to us. You taught us things. You showed us how to live. You show us how to love. You show us how to grow. You welcome us to surrender things in our own heart, Lord. Perhaps some of us, we have things that, we've been being less than, than uh, circumspect on. Lord, we've, we've been too casual with what we've let flow out of our mouth. We've been reckless with our words and in our anger. We have hurt and maimed and in some cases killed. I pray that we would be a people who remember that we have been called to live as life givers. And that as, as you help us, teach us your ways, and we do this imperfectly, but with an honest intention, that people would recognize that reality increasingly and be drawn towards you in an almost irresistible way, in sometimes just because there's some modest difference that is noted because of what you mean to us. So, Lord, keep working in our lives. Keep growing us. Remind us to get better, to be life givers. We just commit this, this closing minutes, this last song to you. We commit our time of giving to you. and all things, we ask that you be honored. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.